up my ninja. It's Numa Pierre, your favorite ninja for Jesus. Hiya, hallelujah to the most high, Jesus Christ. Let's get into it. Got this presentation for you. It's called The Gift of the Gospel. So I'm going to let you know right now where we're going. We're going to talk about why the gospel in the first place. Why do we need a gospel of Jesus Christ in the first place? We got some good that goes bad. And then we got some good that goes bad again. And then we got the gospel. And then we have the gift of the gospel. And what does that gift mean for our lives today as believers? So let's, uh, let's get into it. My ninjas, let's get into this presentation. Once again, I'm so excited to bring this presentation to you. This is your first time. Please subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. Help get this message out. Stay notified. Share it with your friends. Let's get into it. The gift of the gospel. Holy Spirit matters. This is what we're going to have. We got to start off with the creed. All right. This creed comes from... 381 AD. This is the Nicene Creed, but upgraded. All right. So we got the, the, the Council of Nicaea, the creed that comes out of here, or the and, and then we got this creed. This is like the updated version of the creed. And they had to update this version of the creed because they wanted to give more clarity to the divinity of the Holy Spirit. So it reads, and I believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. So this is where we land uh, as believers when it comes to the Christian creed concerning the divinity of the Holy Spirit. More than just a breath, more than just a wind, more than just a fire, more than just a force. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, the agency of the Holy Spirit, we'll get into that in another presentation. But we first have to establish, before we go any further, that the Holy Spirit is God alongside the Father and the Son. So I do affirm the triune God. Amen. Let's get into this. Let's talk about this gospel now. Straight from Paul. Jesus died for our sins, according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to scriptures, and that he appeared. All right, this is 1 Corinthians 15. This letter, and specifically this chapter, is gold. All right, this is Paul. And what scholars are saying, what theologians say about this that Paul is pinning to the Corinthian church, this is the tradition of the gospel that was given. Like this is the apostolic tradition of the gospel. When you ask someone, what is the gospel? This is the gospel. Now that according to scriptures part is so important. It is the Old Testament and the promises of restoration that God made to exiled Israel. So that is the context when Paul says, according to scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament 
and the promises of restoration that God made to exile Israel. The, the New Testament, he was part of the comprising of, so he wasn't like talking about according to scriptures and talking about any letters that he was writing at that moment or any letters that others are writing. He had the Old Testament letters in mind and he had the specifically the promises of restoration that God made to exiled Israel. That's going to be very important moving forward. Let's talk about the gospel and the etymology of the gospel. All right. So gospel means good report or good news of victory. When we think gospel, especially during the time of the first century, think war. Okay, so think war and think war champion and think someone sent to herald the victories of the world champion. So think like pregame and you want to get pumped up for the battle that you're about to go into. All right. And so there's a herald that proclaims the victory of this war champion to get everybody excited about the outcome that they want. Victory. Right. So the past victories of that champion is herald and herald is where we get the word preach from. Okay, I'm going to let you guys make some of these connections. There's another, uh, there's some more context to this word gospel. And it still deals with war, but it's the one that is uh, the herald at the, in this moment, the messenger this moment is responsible for reporting the outcome of the war to the hometown. So there's this battlefield and then there's this hometown and the, the outcome happens, right? The battle is either won or lost for the hometown. So there is a messenger that is sent, is his task to see the outcome, experience the outcome, witness the outcome, and then go give a report of the outcome to the hometown. Now, if they lost, that's bad news because that means you're about to be slaves. But if they won, that's good news because now you're free. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, so when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the good news, the good report of the victory that he's not going to win, but that he did win. And when we talk about who was he victorious over, we're talking about the dominion of darkness. We're talking about sin and we are talking about death. Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about his victory over God's victory over the dominion of darkness, sin and death. So thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Are oh, we going to be gentlemen? We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 throughout this presentation. All right, so like I said in the beginning, we got to first deal with, like, why do we need the gospel? So it was all good just a week ago. Well, maybe not just a week ago, but you get the point. It was all good just a week ago. Adam had communion with God, and it was a beautiful reality. And in fact, such a beautiful reality Adam's residence was an ultimate reminder of what he had with God, paradise. So yes, the Garden of Eden also meant the Garden of Pleasure, the Garden of Paradise. All right, so God takes Adam from the land of Eden and places him in the, after he creates Adam and, and puts breath into his body, places him in the Garden of Eden. Now, Dr. Michael Heiser, like great theologian, great Old Testament scholar, he wants us to have this picture of a high place in mind, an elevated place in mind, because that's where in the ancient Near East, that's where the gods met. Now, we're monotheistic, so we're not, we don't believe in gods. We have one God, but that's where the gods met. They met on a high place or on a mountain. And so just think of like Moses, and when he goes to meet God after they leave Egypt, where, did he, where does he meet God? He, Mount Sinai. Jesus takes his disciples where? When it's time to show him, show them his transfigured self, and then Elijah and Moses show up. 
the mount of transfiguration is called. Where does Jesus die? On Calvary. It's the hill of skulls, Golgotha. It's an elevated, it's a high place. Now, where were the 120 at when they received the Holy Spirit, according to what Jesus said? In the upper room, elevated, a high place. This is where God come, we're in the Tower of Babel. They were building a ziggurat. What was that supposed to be? It was supposed to be a high place so they can bring God. Okay, I'm going to let y'all make some of these connections. Let Holy Spirit speak to y'all. But so when you think about the Garden of Eden, think about the high place. Think about an elevated state, an elevated place. And here we go. Until it wasn't. It was all good just a week ago. Until it wasn't. Shouldn't have ate or should have ate the snake instead. But no, Adam chose to eat the lie and lost more than just a garden. He lost the pleasure of abiding in God's very presence. This whole chapter is one big tragedy. That's Genesis chapter three. So this fall of man and Eve is included. Uh, we're highlighting Adam though, because the symmetry between Christ um, and Adam is Adam and Christ. It's not Adam in Christ and Eve. And, no. Okay. It's Adam. You, you guys get it. Look, the fall of man was the big fall off. All right. It was really a fall off. Like it was the most horrible types of fall offs that you could ever imagine. It was like in all sense of the word, they from this elevated place where they had communion with God, and then their whole being was, yeah, over now, sin was activated. Now death is activated. It's just bad. All right. And DJ, let's run it back. Israel is established as the only nation that has been given the privilege to host the presence of God, and that is a very, very very big deal. Deuteronomy 7 and 6. For you are a holy people or people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So nobody else gets what Israel gets. And that is a special place as God's treasured possession. Holy means like sacred and set apart. So he said, you have been set apart from everybody else. You belong to me. I belong to you. Anybody wants to get to know, they got to go through you. All right. So he's like running it back. Let's run this back. Okay. And this is straight out of Egypt. All right. You know, straight out of Compton, we got straight out of Egypt. This is who God says Israel is once he free gets them out of Egypt. Okay. When the glory hits. All right. So the presence of God is a big deal. Check this out. So all the work Solomon did for the Lord's temple was completed. Then Solomon brought the consecrated things of his father, David, uh, the silver, the gold, and all the utensils, and put them in the treasures of God's temple. David, Solomon's father, was not allowed to actually build the temple. However, God gave David instructions to build the temple. So the father gave the son the instructions to build the temple that is going to be filled with God's presence. The father gave the son the instructions to build the temple so that the temple can be filled with God's presence. The father gave the son the instruction to build the temple. And that temple is going to be filled with God. I'm going to let y'all make the connection. Okay. That's the great. I'm going to let y'all make the prophetic shadowing connection that we see operating through the life of David and Solomon in this temple in the presence of God filling the temple. We're going to cross that. Um, we're going to cross that, um, that revelation again towards the back end of the, the presentation. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.
Now all back to scripture. Now, now all the priests who were present and consecrated themselves, regardless of the divisions, when the priests came out of that holy of the holy place, the Levitical singers dressed in fine linen and carrying cymbals, harps, and lyres were standing east of the altar, and with them were 120 priests blowing trumpets. 120 priests blowing trumpets, 120 in the upper room. I'm gonna let y'all make that connection. There's gonna be a bunch of I'm gonna let y'all make the connections, and then yeah, I'm gonna let Holy Spirit speak to that connection once you make it. The trumpeters and singers joined together to praise and thank the Lord with one voice. They raised their voices accompanied by trumpet cymbals and musical instruments and praise to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Praise break. Hallelujah. It's a banger. Okay. When the glory hits, it's a banger. The temple, the Lord's temple, was filled with a cloud. And because of the cloud, the priests were not able to continue ministering. For the glory of the Lord filled God's temple. This is that moment in worship service where God hits. His presence comes through. And everybody else is through. You're done. Whatever you was doing didn't matter anymore. It's over. Okay. The presence is here. and It's a banger. Nothing else matters. Nothing else can matter. It's just the presence. It's just, oh, I don't know what it's like. I don't know if that's the song, the, the sound that accompanies the presence, but yeah, it's a banger. Scholars place the completion of Solomon's Temple around the 10th century, circa 957 BC. That's important. Why? Because four centuries later, like Israel's predecessor, Adam, Israel fails to remain faithful to God. All you got to do is stay faithful to God for 400 years. No, sorry. But faithful to God. And in short, Babylon becomes a divine eviction notice. So I am fast forwarding a whole lot of events. All right, this is called meta narrative. It's just we're looking at the whole narrative. Um, but yeah, there is a Bible if you want to know what happened in between Solomon's temple and Babylonian captivity. Just know they were unfaithful. So bye-bye promised land, bye-bye temple, bye-bye God's abiding presence, which made Israel who they were. So they didn't have those things. So were they really Israel? Tough to say. This song sounds familiar, all right? Adam abides in God's presence. Adam is unfaithful, exile. Israel abides in God's presence. Israel is unfaithful. Exile. So, but the good news, the gospel is coming. So now we got to the good, the bad, the, the, the good, and then the bad. Now the good news is that the gospel is coming through prophets. God promises to deliver and restore his Israel and abide with them once more. We got one of them prophets coming up for you. Uh, they just have to wait. A minute um, or 70 years. Let's talk about it. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons 
and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let, don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them, for they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. Whose man is this? In other words, this is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years from Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Uh, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I know you've heard Jeremiah 29 and 11 preached to you before, but this is the context. He is talking to a people in Babylon. And he said, you got 70 years of this, and then I got you because I, I've, already, I've always had you. In spite of your unfaithfulness, look, check this out. I've always had a future and a hope in my plans So that's the context between behind, you know, plans, future, and hope. The twenty-nine and eleven. That's the context. You will call to me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Hallelujah! I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I'm going to restore you to the place from which I deported you. Six centuries later, all bad. Now, in between then and now, uh, they were released from Babylonian captivity. And I believe King Cyrus had a lot to do with that, right? So there's a whole prophecy in the prophets about King Cyrus being used as the anointed one, but it's a foreshadowing of the, the anointed one that will be Jesus Christ. I believe Nehemiah and others uh, had the reconstructing of the temple. So now we get this second temple, right? Okay, here's the thing though. Six centuries later, there's no Davidic king. They're under Roman rule, and the temple is absent the presence of God. King Herod has been established by the Romans to just keep Israel in check. And he adds some, some um, how can I put it? He adds some stuff to the temple, right? He 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 beautifies it. He he um yeah, he beautifies the temple, right? But here's the punchline. There's no presence. So in that second Chronicles, we get the 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 presence of God filling the, the, the temple. And eventually that presence of God will reside in the most holy of holy place in the temple. This second temple. Even after the additions of King Herod, it was also called King's Herod Temple at one point in time. There's no presence of God in that temple. So. It's all bad. So, and because it's all bad for Israel, it's all bad for humanity. Think about this. Think about who Israel, uh, that, that seven, in, that chapter seven of Deuteronomy, think about that Israel. And now think, we're here now, six centuries from 
Jeremiah's a word from God to Israel. No Davidic king meant no king on earth to uphold the rule of God. Humanity is thus left to the influence of human authorities who are ultimately influenced by the dominion of darkness. So we have someone like Tiberius who like is telling people to worship him as God and worship his father as the father of God. And then they got the whole pantheon around them. This is the state that the world is in. Rome is the ruling power of the world right now. And Tiberius is going around calling himself the son of God, and he is to be worshipped as God. And that there's this Pax Romana, like the, the only peace that's going to be on this earth is peace to Rome. But we know that their peace is not a peace that is godly peace. So all of humanity is just in a bad state. Okay, with Rome ruling over Israel, nowhere on earth was there to be found a kingdom of God that could challenge and overthrow the influence of the dominion of darkness, an influence holding humanity captive. So Rome is influenced by the dominion of darkness. And uh, Paul picks up on that, I believe, over there in Ephesians. We talked about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but ultimately a dominion of darkness is established. And that's who we are wrestling against. And so without a kingdom of God, like Israel is just going through the motion at this moment. Yes, they have the law. They have a temple, but there's no presence. And they are under the thumb of Rome. They do one thing wrong. They sneeze wrong and Rome wipes them out. They are not a threat to Rome in their current state. They are a shell, if that, of themselves. Like there is no presence of God. Well, there will be. But when it shows up, they don't even recognize he who is, okay, Jesus. They don't recognize Jesus, who is the son of God made flesh and dwelling among them. God is whole among them, literally among them. And they don't, they don't even, for the most part, they don't get it. Let's keep going. I'm getting excited. Uh, the presence of God approved, check this out. The presence of God approved Israel as his chosen one, his chosen nation among all nations on earth. The presence of God affirmed that Israel belongs solely to God. And if and if any other nation wanted access to God, they would have to go through Israel. And so the absence of God's presence was the evidence of a devastating reality. Israel was no longer approved, affirmed, or the access point for all things God among the nations. If the presence of God wasn't found among Israel, it wasn't found anywhere in the world. God chose Israel. He didn't choose nobody else. All right. Do we get, are you okay? This is, this is, this was, this is what makes the gospel, excuse me, of Jesus Christ such a big deal and such good news. And that's what it just gives, it just gives a gravity to the victory that Jesus won over the dominion of darkness, sin, and death, and then the gift of the gospel itself. What is, okay, we're we get, we getting there. We're almost there. All right, so, and it is this devastating reality that leaves all of humanity in a very bad predicament. Slaves to the dominion of darkness and a sinful state of being hardwired for death. All right, so the dominion of darkness, sin, and death. Like, it's just, it's, it's just not going well for humanity in the first century right about now let's run it back though first corinthians 15 but as it is christ has been raised from the dead 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And for just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits afterwards, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God, the father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death, for God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the ex exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. First Corinthians 15, 20 through 28 bars, Apostle Paul, straight bars, apostolic bars. Y'all, okay. When this corruptible body is clothed, we got some more bars for you. Uh, a couple of verses later. When this corruptible body is clothed, like 30 verses later, with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? Uh-oh. Calling out death now. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. The gospel of Jesus. Okay, so this is how the gospel of Jesus addresses what went bad. Remember, there was no Davidic king. There was uh, They were under Roman rule and they had no temple with the presence of God dwelling on the inside of it. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the good news. Um, and how it handles the bad news or does away with the bad news. All right. Victorious, the king and Messiah. So pause for the cause. Check this out. The Gospels, especially the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they're not talking about if Jesus is the Davidic king, the Messiah. This is how he is the Davidic king and the Messiah. This is their defense. All right. So they didn't write the Gospels from like a point like maybe this is the guy. No, they knew this was the guy. And so this their letters were written as a defense that Jesus Christ is this Davidic king and Messiah that the prophets were saying or say is coming to bring Israel back into their rightful position with God as his prized and treasured possession. Yep. And this is just validation of who Jesus is and how Jesus was uh, seen in the gospel. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. That's Mark 11, nine through 10. Let's keep it pushing. Victorious kingdom of God. All right, so Jesus is the Davidic king, he was seen by the people as the Davidic king and Messiah. Did he do things as he as they wanted him to do? No, but it still worked out to God's plan to restore Israel. All right. Uh, he didn't win the victory like they wanted him to win the victory, but he still won. He still got the victory. All right. He did. All right. He's victorious. This is the gospel because he's victorious. The kingdom of God. Check this out. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven. 
like lightning. Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, that's a big however. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the whole scene is Jesus uh, takes his disciples and says, here, here goes some power. Here goes some authority. Go do your thing. Go announce that the kingdom of God is here. Go cast them devils out. Go heal the sick. And they come back like, it worked. The power and the authority worked. And he says, all right, cool. I saw Satan fall like lightning. And there's some scholarship around. What does that actually mean? One, one uh, a line of scholarship is that Jesus is reminding them, okay, you saw these devils get cast out, but I literally saw Satan fall like lightning when it actually happened, like boom. So yeah, okay. The other side of scholarship says at the moment that this is happening for his disciples, that the power and the authority that he gave them is at work and is being and is effectually at work, he sees the kingdom of Satan, the domain of darkness beginning to collapse. Like Satan not has lost his hold over the world. It's happening. The kingdom of God is like giving Satan the eviction notice. Like your hold over this world is done. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand and you're going to fall. Every, every, yeah, you're going to fall every single time. Okay. So what Jesus is doing, he says, don't rejoice in the fact that the kingdom of Satan is falling. The dominion of darkness ultimately is falling. These spirits have to obey you and, and leave. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. What does that mean? Rejoice that you are now the possession of the kingdom of God again. You belong to the Father again. You're no longer the possession of the dominion of darkness. Your identity has been reestablished. You are of the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice in that. Woo! Hallelujah. Let's go. The, vic the victorious presence of God on the last day and most important day of the festival. Jesus, this is coming from John 7. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the spirit. Those who believe in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay. Make the connection. Okay, this was interesting. The temple did not have water and the temple did not have spirit. So during that festival, they had to go to another place to get the water, to bring it back, to, you know, pour it around the altar. And, uh, and this is a big party. They're, they're celebrating. And Jesus says that which you have to outsource to bring into the temple to celebrate. Look, come to me if you're thirsty. If you're if you're done, outsource. So Scott theologians are saying he is talking about the spirit. He is talking about God. He says, look, just like, like the temple don't got God in it. Come to me and I'm going to give you God. That's what he's saying. I'm going to give you something to rejoice over and over and over again, over. Like, 
that God is now with you. God is once again dwelling with you. Do you, you gotta remember how important the presence of God is to Israel, the whole nation. The presence is the prize. It makes Israel everything that Israel is. Without the presence, they're just a shell of themselves if they can be called Israel at all. It's the presence of God among them that makes, and God, and Jesus is saying, you believe in me and you're gonna receive God. And you don't have to go to a temple to find him. You don't have to go here to find him. You don't have to go there to find him. You won't, they won't, look, there goes God. No, it's on the, God, I, God will be on the inside of you. That's what Jesus is saying. Believe in me and you get God. The Holy Spirit is, is God, right? Yeah, okay. That's why we read that creed in them. So that's, you see how the importance of the creed and the importance of having that in place when you're looking at scripture and realizing what the, okay, we have another, um, here we are, the gift of the gospels. We've got another scripture for you from St. John. I love St. John. It just has a book, period. The gift of the gospel. We have the gospel and the victory of Jesus Christ, victory of the dominion of darkness over sin, a sinful state of being, and over death. Now, that's so much to unpack in that, and I'll probably do another presentation to unpack just the gospel of Jesus Christ and pull out more scriptures to show in detail, like what is the what is the story, the narrative, the truth around the theology around, right? That Paul and Peter and James and John, they, they communicate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here, we have the gospel in place. Right, he's victorious. That's what you need to know. He's victorious. And this victory brings us a gift. It's the gift of the victory. He won. Now, what does what's the gift of him winning? He's victorious. What's the gift of the victory? If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it does not see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Nevertheless, uh, it goes another uh, scripture, St. John uh, 16 and 7. Nevertheless, I, I, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. The gift of the gospel is the promise of Holy Spirit. The presence of God to us. That is the gift of the gospel, is the, it is the promise of the Holy Spirit, God abiding within us forever. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of, your inher of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right, is to receive the promised Holy Spirit, which seals you up. And it's like this down payment, this evidence that you are the prized possession being redeemed by God himself. Redeemed means to, I, it's to get back. I need that back. God is saying, I need you back. You were once the possession of the dominion of darkness. Your sinful nature had control over you. You were slave to it, and, you're, and you was on a highway to hell. Or 
through via death, okay? It was all bad, okay? That was it. And then I show up and I defeat the domain of darkness and its influence. I defeat sin, right? In that state of being, and I have victory. I def death itself, where's your sting? And if you believe in this victory, you believe in this gospel, you believe in who all that I am, Jesus is saying, then you get God, to the, the, the prize of God dwelling on the inside of you, the down payment that this redemption, hallelujah. I'm sorry, that clap was probably very loud because of the mic. Let's keep going, let's, let's keep going. Let's, I, I'm getting excited about this gospel. From prophecy to promise, okay? Just to show y'all guys that the Old Testament prophets were given a heads up on what was coming. After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. Okay. It's Joel 2, 28 through 29. And it should sound familiar. It's going to sound real familiar. So here goes the setup. So now we're back in the New Testament. All right. So a little time skip, time jump. Don't worry about it. A little 600 years. Uh, while he was with them, he this is Jesus to the disciples. Acts chapter one. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Then this is Acts chapter two. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred and a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. What has this been about? What is prophecy? You know, it's been about the gathering of the diaspora, the gathering of Israel from other nations back to the original place, which the promised land, which was Jerusalem, and God restoring them as his prized possession. We're not in Kansas anymore. We are not in Kansas anymore. I mean, we never were. In the, I mean, we were anyway. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God and our own, they're going to have praise break again, 120 in the upper room, 120, well, at least 120 priests in First Chronicles, uh, I believe it's chapter 5, when the Spirit comes into the, the, the presence of God, comes into the temple. They, oh, we're about to, yeah. We ain't forgot about the temple. We're getting there. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And then there's some that say, oh, they're just drunk. And then Peter has to stand up and be like, yo, on the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. I just read that. That's why it sounds familiar. It should sound familiar because it's Paul, Peter is quoting Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God. That So we in the last days. So just pause for the cause. The last days is marked by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not marked by the mark of the beast or the or whoever, all right? The, the last days is marked first and foremost, sealed first and foremost by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The last days is a byproduct of the gospel of Jesus, right? So there had to be this victory. So it's the last days for who? The last days for the domain of darkness, sin, and death. 
not the last days for us. It's the, it's the last days for all those who oppose God, all that which is opposed to God, all that which is not like God, all that is not that is not being terraformed and conformed and transformed into what God wants for this world and for his creation in this world. That's who it's the last days for. But for us, this is the. This is the end of the beginning for us. This is the end for them, but the beginning of us. So as it ends, it begins for us. Anyway, I hope I said that the right way. Uh, yeah. So last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. Uh, God, so more uh, verses later, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Since we're talking Jesus and Holy Spirit, let's just throw 1 Corinthians 12 and 3 in there. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So what about the temple? Okay, what about the temple? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? So remember we talked about David giving Solomon the instructions, the father giving the son the instructions to build a temple, a temple that will be filled with the presence of God. The father God giving Jesus Christ the son of God, the instructions to build up a temple for God to dwell in. And that temple is us. We are the temple that Christ has come to build up. But a victory had to be had so that this temple could be erected or resurrected. The punchline. The gift of the gospel, Holy Spirit, abiding within you makes you a gift to the world with a charge to invite others into the light of the gospel of Christ Jesus. And upon receiving the experience of God truly with and within them as a promise that they too belong to him. The gift of the gospel makes us a gift to the world. When we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, the victory over the dominion of darkness, sin, and death, we receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's presence to us, God himself to us. And as we proclaim this victory, as we go with the charge to announce this victory, all those who receive step into this promise also. And so Holy Spirit matters. All right, there's more to come. Concerning Holy Spirit matters, this will be a series. 
that the Holy Spirit has put on my spirit uh, to just do some great work with. So expect a lot more Holy Spirit matters from me, Numa Pierre Ninja for Jesus. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to uh, the channel, share it out with your uh, with fellow believers and non-believers alike. If this has helped you, we are going to do a great work. There's some, there's so much to unpack, right? So we did this meta narrative uh, frameworking where we just talked about the narrative from an overall standpoint, so we could see the purpose of the gospel and then the gift of the gospel, which is the Holy Spirit. But more is to come uh, concerning the details of the gospel, the details of Israel. Uh, the details of sin, the details of death, the details of the dominion of darkness, the, the details of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? How do we recognize the Holy Spirit as God? What makes the Holy Spirit God according to Scripture? There's just so much here. And I couldn't give it to you all in one presentation. So thank you for abiding with me during this presentation. Haya, hallelujah to the Most High, Jesus Christ. Ninja out. Shalom.